microphone check one two what is this it's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business and we're back with another episode of qlc tv my name is rohan and i'm the host of this lovely show where i aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world i just love music i'll also be talking about politics culture sports as well as personal topics related to growing into adulthood. As all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25-year-old Indian man living in Canada, trying to make sense of not only myself, but of the world. So all in all, I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV. And I just hope that this platform will not only give myself, but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning because if i achieved that then i've succeeded thank you in advance for bearing with me when it comes to the audio quality and some of the editing Uh, as i've explained throughout uh, the first four episodes i didn't want to let not having a proper mic and all of the editing skills come in the way of actually starting this thing so thank you for bearing with me and note that from episode five moving forward I have a good mic, so all of the audio quality should be consistent from there on. So thank you again, and enjoy the show. This is July 22nd, 2020. And today, what I wanted to focus on is is honestly some some sad news. Um, This honestly may not be something that the majority of the listeners, uh, and definitely the majority of the world, are not uh, privy to. Uh, but there's a a very influential political commentator in my life, uh, Michael Brooks, who passed away as of uh, July 20th, this Monday. And unlike any other kind of celebrity death or just death from uh, a death of someone that I did not know personally, I never really felt a true loss a true emptiness uh i can think of the only ones that even come close is like when kobe died that sucked and i don't want to say this dismissively but i did not know the man i was a fan of his career and he's definitely one of my favorite players but i'm not like it's not something that made it hard for me to go to sleep it was just a sad thing to know death happens in many ways surprising unsurprising it's all tragic but it it never really gave me a full sense of emptiness but with this guy michael brooks it did it really did it really affected me and i and i find it pretty interesting trying to investigate and do some internal reflection as to why one of the key reasons that comes to mind just right off the bat is plainly the the fact that i've I've consumed so much content from this man. If I compare it to an artist that may have released a couple albums that I really loved, I could listen to those albums 20 times, maybe 30 times, but that doesn't come close to the, the month's worth of content uh, that I've consumed from a person that I wa- where I watch their show on politics every day for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes a day. So that really adds up, and I think only once he died did I even really grasp the fact that this person has really been a part of my life in my day-to-day uh, learning and entertainment for such a long period of time. So today I wanted to 
talk about his death, speak to what it meant to me personally, and also talk more broadly about what his death could mean to the movement of left-wing politics that I'm so interested in, and also dive into how he influenced me and inspired me personally uh, as a one of the best communicators that I've ever come across, and speak to his death as a concept given his young age and the fact that he was still yet to, in my opinion, reach his prime in his career and make the kind of contributions to the movement and to his craft that I know he was capable of doing and just talk about the tragedies that lie within that. So Michael Brooks died at the age of 37, born in 1983. He was a co-host on a show that I just sort of stumbled upon through my usual YouTube viewing of anything related to politics. He was the co-host of a show called The Majority Report with Sam Cedar. I would say I would characterize the politics on that show and the overall viewpoints as definitely being progressive, definitely being left-wing. And so that show was definitely, that quickly became one of my favorite and my and by far the favorite show for me to understand understand socialism, understand politics. I would say politics with a focus on North America, obviously, and, and definitely because these people are Americans, there's a focus on American politics. And there's a, it, it led me to, to, to follow Canadian politics. But again, what made this show interesting and what particularly was great about Michael's contributions to this show was that it was entertaining. And I think that's something that Canada, unfortunately, has a huge gap when it comes to creating content, political content specifically, that's both informative but also entertaining. Independent media, but independent media that's that's entertaining but also very informative is not something, and from a left-wing perspective, is not something that Canada has all that much of. And therefore, I, I tend to gravitate to a lot of American politics because a lot of the same ideas can, can translate to Canada. And also, there's America is a huge influence on Canada. It's a very important country to to be knowledgeable on because they, they are our biggest trading partner in Canada and overall are a cultural force in the world. So, yeah, this show, Majority Report, Sam Cedar, it was, they were hilarious people. They were, I both come from, Sam Cedar, the main host, comes from a comedy background. And Michael Brooks, I don't think he comes from a formal comedy background, but he's fucking hilarious. They they regularly go into random riffs with different impersonations. Sam did some, but Michael was always the guy. Sometimes he'd be off camera. Sometimes he'd be on camera. His laugh was so infectious. His impersonations, there's so many, and I'm I'm gonna show one at the end of this. Uh, I'll include one at the end of this episode. So the show was comedic, but it was also incredibly insightful. And their politics was something very aligned to me, and really helped me in my evolution and knowledge on on politics in general and specifically socialism. The idea of mixing those two things is what Michael Brooks did so amazingly and it led him to start his own show, still co-hosted Majority Report, but he really started to build his own and that quickly became my favorite show to watch. Overall, I've been watching his work and absorbing his content for the last three to four years, uh, I think around 2015, maybe probably longer than that, maybe... 2015 2014 was the time when I really started to get into it and yeah losing just losing someone 
at the age of 37 who had his own show was like quickly becoming like a force you can just see it in the operation of his show the michael brooks show tmbs the quality of the content was just getting better and better uh, and what made him particularly unique was that he mixed comedy and sharp actual substantive political wit so well so it was both entertaining and genuinely uh informative but also he had an international perspective which is something that i i didn't see from any other prominent left-wing commentator it was very rare and unique to see uh such a strong global perspective given to all of these issues um that impact the movement so to have that entertainment factor that charismatic factor and fashion in which the content was being delivered but also consolidated into one neat channel one neat unique uh, and neat consolidated podcast was something really special because i was able to learn about like so many other global issues because again many politics they stick to their own uh, political shows they stick to their own countries and it's hard to really understand the the plight and the overall uh movements of uh working class folks and all the different issues going on in a really easy way like and from a way that is strict that is is very clearly a left-wing perspective because again i can go ahead and spend a bunch of time on cnn or cbc news or ctv news global and understand the issues but it's it's mainstream media it's corporate media and it's just inherently it's a bias structurally so it's hard to really trust what you're seeing and again Again, the flip side, the other side of that is just also dry as fuck. I'm not trying to, I'm a busy person, everybody's busy, and I, and I do have, I fall victim to the ills everybody else does, the vices of just needing entertainment to come along with everything, and I, and I know that's kind of admitting my own flaws, but it's true. Uh, it's hard to take so much time out of your day to follow all this politics if it's not entertaining, it doesn't make you laugh as well. And if it's not in the the right medium, because I I'm a person who loves YouTube, so I I like watching video. Even next step is podcast, but the third is print media. So, quick side note, but the idea of needing entertainment and depending on it with every single waking thing that a person does in today's society is a really interesting concept that I think was like perfectly put in Father John Misty's 2017 track off of Pure Comedy titled Total Entertainment Forever, which talks about this uh, idea in such a, re- such a funny, classic Father John Misty way. I highly recommend that. Anyways, back to the topic of Michael Brooks and his show. Uh, so on his show, he was able to interview Lula. Brazilian leader, former Brazilian leader, was truly transformative in terms of... Uh, bringing a lot of left-wing thinking and actually implementing it to great success in Brazil before he got ousted by a corrupt movement that eventually led to the current leader, Jair Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro to get into power, uh, who is pretty much a disgusting cretin and looks like if coronavirus was a person, pretty much. It's a horrible guy. So basically, this movement uh, that ousted Lula um and kind of like falsely labeled him as a uh, corrupt politician even though lula was not so they basically successfully got lula out of power and since then and throughout his tenure he was a a left-wing hero to a lot of people 
and Michael was actually able to interview one of his greatest heroes. Lula even tweeted once he died saying that it was a big loss, like that shows just the level of impact he had on an actual world leader. He also got the opportunity to interview prominent left-wing thinker Noam Chomsky, uh, as well as Cornell West, and had the opportunity to speak with him on multiple occasions, in fact. It, you just saw from following him, you could see he was just starting to really come into his own. The quality of the content was improving. He was starting to get actual like acclaim and, and opportunities. And it just made me think, like I was trying to think two days ago when I heard of his death that night, it was starting to just creep up on me how much I was feeling so empty and sad about it. And I didn't really know why. I was like, okay, again, I don't, I didn't really expect it. I knew I'd be upset, but I was thinking, okay, am I upset because I'm just selfishly going to miss the, the, the great learning and entertainment I got from his, his work. But then I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. Uh, I think, I mean, definitely that's a part of it, but I think a big part of it is just that idea of, someone not being able to reach their full potential or not going to be able to achieve their dreams. And I even see that at a very, very smaller scale when like people like athletes get injured in the NFL, for instance, I can think of quick examples. Andrew Luck, due to the poor mismanagement of the, the, the Colts organization, kept getting hurt. He had a Hall of Fame trajectory he was on and he just had to to lay, uh, lace up his cleats, I don't know what the right term is, just retire super early. Uh, I'm thinking of Aaron Rodgers in the couple years that he had to have his season cut short because of just a lot of injuries in his prime, losing a lot of time to build that legacy to put him in that conversation of greatest of all time. Or uh, Carson Wentz, when they actually won the Super Bowl, now he has this whole uh, one injury prone tag, but also... That whole idea that he can't even win the big one, can't galvanize the troops, even though he was having an MVP season up until week 15 when he got injured in 2016, or 2017, mind you. So I, I really resonate with that idea of kind of having, not having your dreams being achieved, uh, whether it be through death or through other reasons. Uh, and I, I think of a lot of sh movies and shows where a character is having to deal like on their deathbed having to deal with all these missed opportunities or regrets they have in their life i think that's such a strong i have such a strong attraction and fascination with that idea it resonates with me a lot and seeing someone like michael brooks again going back to him who who had so much going for him it seemed like he was five ten years off of what his prime of his career and his and his work it's just sad it just seems so unfair it really made me feel mad in a way that just like that just doesn't make sense. That's not fair. This was just a random freak medical act, like a condition that happened. It wasn't like any kind of prolonged or expected death. Like I feel sad because he was such a key part in my political evolution, my political thinking. But again, since he kind of satisfied such a unique niche of blending comedy with with very sharp political analysis but also gave me an international perspective like that's something that was so such a differentiator for his work and his team's work on his show that it it really feels like the left the left political movement really lost a big voice maybe the biggest voice and honestly like i just think he was the 
the most articulate communicator and skillful when it came to speaking about such complex issues with such in a such a plain spoken way that was so real that was so authentic that didn't come off as some academic condescending on you using all these big unnecessary words that you don't understand to try to make himself feel better like this wasn't some some woke posturing like this was true care and and, and passion and desire to see the left win and i think the idea of messaging and how you come across and the framing in arguments and in discourse in today's age is so vitally important. Simply put, if winning an argument and making social change was all about providing people with the right information, then we would already have world peace because we all have, or lots of us now, have a bunch of information at our fingertips with access to phones and the internet. So I think it's really clear to me, at least, that the way we talk about things is so important to actually convincing people to change their behaviors. And I think Michael Brooks was, was a testament to how best to communicate something super complex in a way that comes off authentic and doesn't make you feel like a bad person when you're being spoken to or educated. Uh, so I think the way he, he framed things, the way he articulated himself was so valuable to political discourse. And again, it's just, it's just really sad to know that his voice will no longer be heard. I'm going to end, like I said, I'll end with the, this episode with a funny impersonation which shows one side of his genius, but then the other side of his genius is shown in this great kind of uh, tangent he went on in an appearance with Cornell West and some other speaker at a, at a university about what he saw the left's potential to be and what he thought we we as like the left again high level speaking here were missing and it's that that ability to actually win these big political discussions it's 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 it was just it was really inspiring and i can't wait to share that at the end of this episode but he was also an inspiration for me from in the standpoint of him as a communicator and from the standpoint of him as an entertainer, being able to synthesize so many different ideas uh, and approaches into one package. So while he wasn't the sole reason, uh, his show and the way he uh, carried himself in his role really inspired me to start this podcast. It's something that I hope to embody the spirit of, is mixing some of that form of comedy or at least a personability, authenticity, plain spokenness, mixed in with my commentary on politics, on music, on culture, that cross-section uh, of two seemingly opposing or unrelated forces, that juxtaposition, that, that whole idea, that inspires me, and I naturally gravitate towards it. And and again, Michael was such a big part of that, and it's really sad to, to, to have him not be on this earth anymore. 2020 really feels like the forces of good are losing. It seems like we've lost so many lives through, through the, the, the usual general oppression, uh, occupations that are going on in the world, hunger ec- epidemic, climate change, but obviously COVID pandemic taking people's lives every single day. It really appeals to my worst senses of being apathetic, of being depressed, of being kind of okay and indifferent to 
all of these negative situations and events that have happened recently. And it's hard not to get demoralized. But then I think about what Michael stood for in this really inspiring quote that just speaks to the kind of person and thinker Michael was. He always said that we should be ruthless with institutions and kind to people. Like that's a really simple statement, but I think it's so insightful and so representative of what he believed in and what I, I really believe is is the right way forward. And that's, we need to treat political systems, governments, elected officials, leaders, anybody in a position of power, really, with ruthless critique and accountability and emphasis on accountability uh, and demand that of our leaders and of our people who are have the greatest impact on the masses. But at the same time, we treat individual people, especially people who do not have that power, with compassion and empathy first. And let that be our moral kind of compass, our, our, our foundation. And he, and that leads into kind of the idea of that he was very much against the that whole cancel culture stuff because there's some there's some arguments for saying that cancel culture doesn't even exist and it's kind of like a made-up thing that people powerful people have made to just kind of like obfuscate the issue and remove the accountability on them but i i do think there's something there to be said that there has to be like nuance to all this stuff like i think there are people that are irredeemable yes but there's that's very few people and do i think there's people that have done things that are so bad that they that publicly shaming them or removing them from their positions of power or their their uh, taking stripping away parts of their livelihood whether it be a job I can see the argument and I can see that it, it's so inexcusable that that needs to happen or that is okay that it happens but there's a lot of stuff in the gray area where it's just like we it seems like it's counterproductive it seems like we are unnecessarily shaming people to again feel feel morally superior which is then a self-gratifying act which is pointless and unhealthy and then it's also just like a like a, a contradiction and again that's something that michael speaks on really great in that uh, greatly in that final clip i'm gonna share in this episode however i do want to clarify that my and certainly michael's as well uh position on this whole cancel culture thing is not to try to make paint this as being the issue of the day the most important thing going on because that's that's a huge false equivalency and that's given into a lot of very bad faith uh, arguments from people um, that have no interest in social justice at all. Um, but I think there is a nuance about sh between punishment, shaming, and accountability, and then another level of and then taking it to the extreme uh, for offenses or grievances that are are definitely not to the same level as others so there's a huge difference between some racist karen uh saying black people are inhuman savages uh versus someone because uh, this is an interesting story that came out some prof who had his porn bookmark with college girl in the title showing on his uh, browser when he was presenting his screen in a zoom class so he obviously got fired he got super huge shame from the public and I think, again, I'm not debating that maybe he should be fired for that. If people don't want to come to his class, they don't feel comfortable, it, that's, that's whatever, that's fine, that's their prerogative. But it's, it's more like we have to act like 
and be honest with yourself that that isn't the same thing as some racist care and saying what I said earlier. And if we, as the public, bring the same level of intensity and shame to both those in incidents, it kind of starts to corrode our message of holding people accountable because someone who's, again, we have to be, if we're trying to build a coalition and actually make things happen, there's a difference between just saying you have to be nice to racists and, and oh, coddle everybody's move. Like, no, that's not, and at no point am I trying to make the point that it's our responsibility to do anything as especially when it's the people who are oppressed who are the grieved party or the people that are on the right side of these issues but it is in our best interest to be as nuanced and treat people with the level of of complexity and humanization wherever possible because then for those people who are kind of on the outside not sure what to believe they'll at least see a movement that is logical and rational and has empathy at its core uh versus just a uh, unhinged mob mentality that a lot of people on the outside of the left believe a lot of this stuff is and that's not what we want to project so I, I wanted to add that clarification because I do not want to come off and I do not want to paint Michael's views as being that because that whole be nice to rich people be nice to the people that are doing wrong that's just it's diminishing to the people that actually have to go through these things personally but it's also just stupid and ridiculous to have to put the onus on the people who are right to to be nice when it's they deserve consequences for what they're doing and they deserve to be punished and there's no reason to negate and deny the actual emotions that people feel because for a lot of things a lot of these racist incidents these uh acts of discrimination they have real consequences on the people that are being affected and we can't just act like we need to be nice to everybody that's just a stupid but again if we want to win these political discussions and the and be the prevailing movement uh it's all about trying to find a way out of love to not tone police but just simply try to find a way to resist those primal urges uh and find a way to organize the movement of justice empathy and equality and achieve our collective goal so this is not to try to criticize individuals, especially the individuals that are a victim and are affected by whatever these racist incidents, for example, uh, affected by those personally. But it's about, at a macro level, on a movement scale, uh, how best can we try to move our priorities and, and push our agenda forward in the best possible way to actually win and get power and give power to those ideas. Overall, I may, and again, I want to speak for Michael, I don't know where he was going to go in his future, but I would still not put this whole idea and diatribe that I just went on as being like the biggest problem in the world. It's not. It's, it's, it's a thing that would help. But again, I can't speak for any level of authority and, and critique anybody. It's just a way that I see us being able to talk to each other in a better way that hopefully, again, will shift behaviors and, and achieve our end goals. But by no means do I feel like I know the, the fully correct answer on this. It's, it's a pretty tricky situation, and I acknowledge my privilege in that I'm, I'm usually not the, the direct victim of any of these incidents or these events. So I'm always interested to learn and hear from other perspectives on how best to navigate all of this. So yeah, like again, all this talk about Michael and the politics that he stood for, it's really, you can see the effect it has on me 
and he had a lot of influence on me. And it, it's inspiring me, even at, like I, I've been watching a lot of like people in the political left, remembering Michael Brooks and speaking on his influence on their lives. And one thing that keeps to seemingly ringing true in all of these statements is that he was a very hopeful person. He was a person, again, that had that ideology, be ruthless with the institutions, but be kind to people. And I don't think in his death he would want to see people kind of give up and say, okay, because again, this is, we have to understand what's hap- what happened. It's a death of a great person, a great human, a funny person, but also a really important voice that was getting increasingly more important on the left in a context where the actual left-wing commentary and just independent media, pro-working class people are being marginalized and destroyed by the more mainstream power structures, by the more vehemently capitalistic systems. So it's, it's, it's not hard to get into that idea that his unique brand of synthesizing international left politics in such an entertaining way is going to be gone forever or like the big chance that we had is gone or and that these voices will like his voice died and then other voices are going to continue to be silenced but i think it's again trying to be strong and trying to be positive i at least will do my best to believe that his influence that he's had on all these other people and all the other current voices because there's he wasn't the obviously the only one there were so many great people i'm thinking of people like benjamin dixon uh Nico Sutton of the Discourse, Nomiki Konst, Chapo Trap House, the Rational National with David Dole, who is a Canadian and has a Canadian focus which is really fresh and exciting and serves as one of the few voices in the Canadian independent media scene who can mix uh entertainment and actual insightful left wing commentary in a substantive manner. There's like hundreds of people i'm just naming like a few people that i know were close to him but people that i want to get more into their content and support and and overall just supporting being more uh thoughtful in the way i consume and where i put my money where i put my money whether it be grassroots socialist organizations uh grassroots working class organizations anti-racist movements like just continuing to, to, to be more thoughtful and live with intent, I think would be the best way to honor someone like that who died, but and who would have wanted that to see his work not go for go to waste for nothing. So I'm kind of trying to take it as a hopeful and uh, a more of a call to action that I need to just, in my own individual life, live with more intent, live with more purpose, and actually walk the walk when it comes to all these ideas that I believe are true. Yeah, I'm going to leave it with that. I was thinking earlier of when I was preparing for this episode uh, to think about, to to potentially talk about kind of my views on why things like this happening make me so apathetic to the idea of there being a God and religion. But I think I'm going to leave that to another another episode, another discussion. I think it. I need to kind of do some own, my own reflection first before I get into that because I have a lot to say. With that, I'm going to end it. Uh, this episode by once again thanking you for listening wherever this will be this is going to be posted definitely feel free to drop a comment like it subscribe any way you want to interact discuss with me you can always dm me or hit me up at rohview r-o-h-v-i-e-w on twitter instagram i i really 
am happy to continue to to record these episodes. I can't wait to actually launch this. I want to build a community of people that want to engage on these kind of topics and whatever you'd like to talk about. I'm always ears and I'd always love to talk. And yeah, I'm going to leave it with what I discussed earlier. I'm going to end this this episode a little differently by first starting with a clip of a hilarious impersonation that Michael Brooks had of Obama as this nation of Islam leader who is calling into the Majority Report show uh, to speak with Sam Cedar, the show that he co-hosted, to speak on his new gun policy that's super fair and super reasonable that all common sense individuals should agree to. That is hilariously giving in to the caricature that the, the right wing hacks created for him as some secret Islamic terrorist in the White House who's born from Kenya. And you'll see the skill in which Michael Brooks like weaves in all these actual political events and ideas into the comedy. You'll see him mention Iran and that whole U.S. and Iran nuclear deal that many people on the right wing thought was some deal that screwed the states and favored Iran. In my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion on the left, it was a very simple, pretty fair deal. And you can just see how he, he gives into that ploy of Obama and that gives into that idea that Obama is secretly favoring Iran and is not actually for Americans or even white people as he wants to enslave the white race and things like that. It's, it's really hilarious, really ridiculous. And then the last clip where it's from him, Cornell West, and another speaker at a university event, and he's speaking on how he believes the left needs to learn from this great quote and idea from Martin Luther King about how the left needs to be more skillful and strategic in how we convey our ideas and how we need to frame things and position our ideas to actually win arguments and shape policy. So I'm really excited to, to share all this with you shows both sides of Michael's genius and I just want to say rest in power Michael Brooks you will be missed we love you uh, good to be with you Sam how you doing oh I'm doing great uh, look uh, look here's what we're doing with regard to uh, guns we're, mm -hmm. we're imposing a series of uh, sensible measures that everyone can uh, get behind greater uh, scrutiny background checks greater accountability on the system. I, I think that there's no reason why reasonable people across the divide can't all agree with this. Psych? <laughs> Sorry, psych? Uh, psych? You hear that beautiful music in the background, Sam? I do. You hear that gorgeous call to prayer mm -hmm. of my faith, the Islamic faith, the one and truly only faith of God, the one and truly only faith of Allah? Here's what I'm really doing with the guns. Yeah. White people... I'm about to take all your guns. I'm coming for you. The fruit of Islam is ready. We're locked and loaded and ready to bear, baby. <laughs> no more guns. White people are going to have to pray to the only true and living God, the black God of Allah, and bow ties for everybody. You ready for this? Oh, so everybody's got to wear bow ties. And are you saying that um, basically you're outlying guns, but just for white people? Just for white people. See, that's what people got it twisted. Remember I said I respect gun laws? I'm going to over-respect gun laws when it comes to black people. I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's tiered systems. Arabs and black people get a lot of guns. Iranian people get the most guns because Iran, obviously, favorite right. country of the world. Uh, Hispanic people are sort of in the middle, so they'll get some. 
Uh, and then there's a tier system within the Hispanic. Mexicans, more guns. Puerto Ricans, more guns. Cubans, less guns. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, white people, you don't want a grand total of how many guns you get? Uh, yeah. Zero. Zero guns. You got nothing. For white people. All it's right. just the, the greatest joy of my life to watch those pale, disgusting, pasty faces fall into complete and utter desolate sadness as I take away not only their guns, but their culture and their hopes and dreams. I hate the white man. He's of the devil. He was made in a cave in the worst parts of Europe, produced from the lowest forms of humanity, and I'm so glad to bring him back to his proper state, enslaved to now, the black man. Now, hold on for one second. Well, hold on. No, stop, stop the music. Let me just Don't ask stop this. that me, music. Hold, I'm hold, president hold, baby. Hold on. What? Let me All just right. ask. Can you really do that via executive action? Uh, I can do that via uh, super Islamo action, which is something you don't even know about. I didn't realize that. I didn't know. That. Every time I that make a public signing statement, there is a secret Quran on the podium. Oh. And that is Allah's law, which supersedes our law. I mean, really, to be honest with you, it's really Iranian law. <laughs> Full on Iranian law. Right? Yeah. You know, the irony is, is that Donald Trump's right. We did negotiate a bad deal with the Iranians from your perspective. I see. From my perspective, it's fantastic. So basically, uh, part of that the whole nuke thing was that we now follow Iranian law. Where's Salman Rushdie at? <laughs> Someone needs to get. <laughs> Someone needs to pay the price for blasphemy around here. All right, let's final see. year. Psych. Just getting started. Sultan of Penis, baby. Okay. Well. We're All right. Well, Akbar. Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, and it's an immense honor to be here, including definitely with Dr. West, who is an influence on me, and one of the major reasons that he's an influence on me is because of that synthesis and the ability to hold multiple truths. That we have to have some sense of a capacity here to do something with democracy and then also not lie and deceive ourselves about what we are and what capitalism is and what empire is. I came across a speech fragment from Martin Luther King Jr. recently, which I played on my show, and I don't know where or the title of the speech, but I thought it was so important because we've put a lot of work and we still have to put work into reminding everybody that the man was on the left. He wasn't a guy who came out once a year and said everybody should treat each other nicely. He was a serious... But the other thing that I loved about this speech, which was he talked about the fallacy that certain Christians misunderstood love as a seeding of power, and then Nietzsche came along and rejected Christian morality because he thought it was denying... Uh, someone's vitality, the will to power in a healthy sense. And he said, love without power is sentimental and anemic, yep. and power without love is abusive and corrosive. I'm paraphrasing. Yep. And that was when I saw it, I thought, well, here, okay, we know the left-wing Dr. King. Well, here's the Machiavellian Dr. King, and I love it. I want the left to have Machiavelli so that we can have the strategy, the ruthlessness, the clarity to actually win these battles and be ruthless with institutions. And then I want us to learn how to be really kind to each other, welcoming of a broad set, and actually have a movement that has the capacity to do that. That's why the cancel stuff is relevant that Katie brought up, because it's a stand-in for this eliminationism of other humans, which is neoliberalism enacted. And it's also a contradiction from when we get utopian. It's beautiful. We're, we're the people who sit around and we say, why don't we have a world where there's no prisons? Okay. <laughs> That's a radical fucking statement. That's a real thing. And we should take it seriously. 
But then, on the other hand, oh, well, these people could never be part of our coalition because they made a mistake or said something. Like, it's a contradiction in what we're enacting. So what I get that I hope is in the realm of answering your question from this Dr. King clip was left-wing, spiritual, but also with a vision of power. And if we can synthesize those things, I think we will speak to the highest impulses of this country, we will be welcoming to people, and we will win. Mm-hmm.